Happy Thursday. Welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. And boy, we have a, a lot to get to in terms of the NFL and the impact on college football. Jim Harbaugh going to the Los Angeles Chargers. We'll get to that right after headlines and talk about what that means for college football as well. Plus, a research firm detailed just how many subscriptions the game on Peacock uh, drove to Peacock, the Chiefs-Dolphins NFL wildcard game. They have an estimate. We'll take a look at that. Uh, Disappointment, success, I would say we'll find out today, depending on uh, some earnings calls, which are across the board in stocks today, uh, if NBC liked what they saw. Plus, what it means for Jim Harbaugh in LA. Obviously, as Justin Herbert, but a lot of other challenges after that. Plus, uh, there's a stat for the Purdue Boilermakers that's more wild than their no turnovers in the first half against Michigan. That's more wild than their 14 of 21 from three against Michigan. And it's been a season-long stat. We'll get to that about 820. And uh, the debate over Chicago pizza, Michael Wilbon, I think, gave a very good answer in terms of this ongoing debate, you know, is Chicago deep dish versus, you know, what what pizza do Chicagoans actually prefer? Probably not what you think. And uh, before we leave you, uh, an animal blamed for a Texas roadway washing it uh, away. We'll uh, give hmm. you details there. Animals are at, again, yeah. at it again, aren't they? Always something with the animals. 46862 is the text line number again, 46862. Just put in CK. Before your message, and we'll get to it throughout uh, the course of the show this morning. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380 The Fan app. That's free for you to download, or on your smart speaker as well. Hi. Morning, Justin. Hello. How we doing? Doing Another right. foggy day out yeah, there? It, it is quite foggy. More foggy than it was yesterday morning. I would agree. So, uh... Be careful out there. It's always something this time of year, isn't it? Fog, cold, snow, snow ice. ice. Yeah, it's, it's always <laughs> something. So just this is the time of the year we're at. So today and yesterday, the uh, flavor of the day is fog. And so be careful if you're out there this morning. But uh, we'll, we'll try to do our best to help you get through it this morning on the show. And we'll start with headlines again. We'll get to, to Harbaugh, to the Chargers in a bit. Elsewhere in the NFL... A lot of other news. You have Joe Barry let go as the Packers defensive coordinator. I know Packers fans are celebrating on that one. Um, yeah, it's just that time of the year uh, for coordinators, even coordinators of playoff teams that are being shown the door. And if you look at Green Bay and things coming together and seemingly a team that 2025 and beyond could be a serious Super Bowl contender with the right moves, they feel like they had to make a move with Joe Barry, a defensive coordinator. Meanwhile, the Dolphins and Vic Fangio have mutually agreed to part ways. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but he's the top target for the Eagles as their next defensive coordinator. Um, so likely going to go to Philadelphia. Um, I remember him way back in the day as the Colts defensive coordinator. Colts like defensive 20 coordinator. 20 years ago. He was the Bears defensive coordinator. Still a, a very bright NFL mind. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fangio almost pushed this a little bit with Philly 
reaching out to him because it sounds like a mere formality that he's going to be the Eagles defensive coordinator. And um, I'd much rather be in Philly than Miami, at least in terms of the football team. <laughs> yeah, I'd ra- probably rather weather. live yes. in, in Miami. Uh, compared Vic will keep, to... that, keep that house in Miami, but it'll work in Philly. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that'll be a, a better deal for him. Um, but those are some of the highlights as far as coaching hirings and firings uh, over the course of this last week. Also, uh, you look at the Raiders, new GM, Tom Telesco. So he moves from the Chargers to the Raiders as their GM. And uh, the Colts also made some moves. And uh, I guess maybe a, a bit surprising, Shane Sykin saying he valued continuity. They do make a couple of moves. And one of them really surprised me based on the success of the unit. And that's the defensive line as uh, the Colts moving on from defensive line coach Nate Ollie, also assistant defensive backs coach Mike Mitchell. More surprised about the defensive line. They decided not to renew the contracts for both of those guys. Um, they had been part of Gus Bradley staff for each of the past two seasons. And we, we figured there if there were... Was, if there was going to be a change, it'd be on the defensive side of the ball, right? Um, Steichen's probably not going to make a change year one unless there's something really bad happening behind the scenes. And defensive backs, I understand. Defensive line, bit surprising. I mean, the Colts set a franchise record for sacks during the course of the season. That that kind of surprised me, too, in terms of the strength of the Colts' defense was up front and then the defensive line coach uh, effectively being dismissed, but it, stuff that happens behind the scenes sometimes we're not always privy to it you know disagreements or whatever so fact of the matter is the Colts will be looking for a couple more position coaches uh, coming up which is less than a fair amount of uh, teams are looking for right now in terms of coordinators in terms of head coach so just some some small moves I think on the staff I don't think anything too major even the defensive line coach I don't know if we need to look too far into that but um, it's that time of year. Everybody is kind of um, looking for some additional coaches to round out their coaching staff heading into next season. Meanwhile, in the NBA, it is official. Doc Rivers <laughs> accepting a deal to be the next head coach. I almost said the Celtics <laughs> of the Bucks. Um, I saw this. Mike Breen, who worked with uh, Rivers on, you know, NBA on ESPN and ABC this season said he'd like to thank Doc for his weeks of service. <laughs> <laughs> Did see that last night. It was pretty funny. And Milwaukee gets the win last night. Didn't seem any worse for wear with uh, with, with their new head coach or, or the old head coach being dismissed. Uh, seemed to be in, in fine spirits last night in a 126-116 victory over Cleveland. Yes. Uh, so that change, which was expected now official, uh, a potential future move, and this is fascinating. So I think we talked about this before as far as NHL eyeing expansion franchises. Well, the Jazz owner, the owner of the Utah Jazz, Ryan Smith, has requested an expansion team in Utah, obviously in Salt Lake City. Smith Entertainment Group, or SEG, which owns the Jazz, have started the process uh, for bringing an NHL team to Salt Lake City. One of those uh, sites that I think it would be fertile ground for an NHL team in Salt Lake City. So I think that'd be pretty cool. And we'll see if that um, measure continues to 
uh, gain ground, it sounds like it's on solid footing so far. And then meanwhile, in the ECHL, we now know the nickname for the new expansion franchise in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh huh. They will be the Bloomington Bison. Hmm. Bloomington Bison, huh? Yeah, the 30th member of the ECHL. Now, back in the day, I think that, because people were like, well, what's Bison got to do with Illinois? Like, back in the day, Bison were pretty prevalent around this area. Including Indiana. I mean, they're on the state seal, for example. That's true. That is true. So, not surprising. But when you when you think about um, uh, exciting nicknames in minor league hockey or minor league sports in general, you know, eh, Bison, I guess. That's fine. Sure. I mean, if they're bringing Bison out of the ice now, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, meanwhile, uh, also in the NBA, the I- Indiana Pacers, with a change, the top Pacers sports and entertainment CEO, Rick Fusen, uh, retiring Mel Raines, promoted to that top spot. Uh, he has been with the Pacers since 1984. Mm. Um, first joined as, as, as far as managing the 1985 NBA All-Star Game in Indy. Uh, been with the organization for quite some time. He will be seeing through the All-Star Game. Uh, he'll step down June 18th. He'll remain as an advisor uh, to owner and chairman Herb Simon. Mel Raines, she's the president and COO of Pacer Sports and Entertainment, will be promoted to CEO. Yeah, Rick Fusen's been there forever. So, um, some change at the top, but I don't expect to see anything different on the court for the Pacers. No, no, I don't think that will have a huge impact uh, as they'll look to keep rolling. And then one other note here, uh, at least it ties to Indiana, Jamarcus Shepard, Fort Wayne native, uh, officially uh, on the Alabama staff. So congrats to him as he moves officially to Alabama. I mean, this was expected, but he acknowledged it, said his goodbyes to Washington yesterday, and they announced him uh, as a assistant head coach with the Crimson Tide. A dude that is on the fast track to be a head coach at the college football level at some point, and some point soon. Wide receivers coach in Alabama just was able to get a recommitment from a five-star wide receiver who had decommitted, and he's now recommitted. So things going okay in the Kalen DeBoer era Yeah, so not far. too bad. Until, you know, until that first loss. Yes. And then we'll uh, circle back <laughs> around, see how that's going. And one other headline I want to get to before uh, the news surrounding Jim Harbaugh, the Notre Dame Blue Gold game is set for April 20th of this year. Game will be streamed on Peacock. Tickets are $10. There you go. So your early peak at the 2024 Irish. You can get that on April 20th. And just you never know what the weather's going to be. It could be sunny and 70. It could be rainy and 40. It could be snowy and 28 degrees. You just never know that time of year. But uh, plan accordingly if you want to see the Irish in the spring game. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Let's get to the biggest news of all, though. Jim Harbaugh officially takes the Los Angeles Chargers job. And if you listen to the show, we told you. In fact, we told you back on December 21st, he would be a perfect fit for the Chargers. Now, he is in L.A. on a five-year deal. He was a San Diego Charger as a player in 1999 and 2000 uh, toward the end of his NFL playing career. And you also wonder uh, if Colts assistant general manager Ed Dodds, who's interviewed at several places, including uh, the Chargers and the Raiders, obviously not getting the Raiders job, but you wonder if he will be the GM paired 
with Harbaugh. Uh, they were assistants, or they worked on the, the Oakland staff way back in 2002 and 2003. They've stayed in touch. It seems like a likely fit because Harbaugh is going to want someone who fits with his system, and that would be an obvious fit. Also, he's expected to bring Michigan defensive coordinator Jesse Minter uh, to L.A. Possibility he brings his son Jay Harbaugh as well as a special teams coordinator. Overall, this is a home run for the Chargers franchise. And Jim Harbaugh, who I know Bears fans wanted him, it never felt like they had a shot because they don't have a quarterback at the moment that you know you can lean on to be a franchise guy. But this is going to be big for L.A. because the Rams are L.A.'s team, right? And the Chargers have always played second fiddle since moving there. And this is their chance to really make up some ground and, and gain in popularity. Well, this is huge for, for a lot of different reasons in the L.A. Chargers. When we looked at the open jobs in the NFL and what would entice Jim Harbaugh, this was the job because you have Justin Herbert in place as your franchise quarterback. And uh, we went through the multiple reasons over the last month or so why this was going to happen. And you and I were, were both pushing it that it was going to be the Chargers. And it had to do with Herbert. It had to do with Jim Harbaugh, now 60 years old, wanting to achieve the pinnacle of the NFL like he did in college football this past season with Michigan. And feeling like he has unfinished business in the NFL. And really looking at it as what else could you accomplish in Ann Arbor. Jim Harbaugh never felt like a guy that was content just racking up wins after wins after wins, seasons after season after season in college football and being content. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jim Harbaugh wanted more. And especially after he got that elusive national championship for Michigan, it was just a mere formality that he was leaving. And you and I were pushing it for the better part of a month that the, the, the clear destination, barring just a, an absolute bad offer or, or something coming up, was going to be L.A. And that's how this played out. And you you look at some of the storylines we're already going to have for next season. The Chargers host the Ravens next season at SoFi Stadium. So Sibling rivalry back on. That, that is going to be a, a big game, obviously, during the regular season. We won't know the, the full schedule for the NFL for 2024 until sometime this spring. They do the schedule release. But we know that will happen. So you'll have Jim Harbaugh versus John Harbaugh in L.A. sometime during the regular season. And really, for Harbaugh, this, this like you said, this is his kind of final shot to try to join the list of the Pete Carrolls uh, of the world, the Jimmy Johnsons, the Barry Switzers, right, who won a, a college yeah, just those three. title and a Super Bowl title. And so Jim Harbaugh giving it one more go because I, I don't think there's another job after this. I think this is it. Would you say this has a bigger impact on the NFL with Harbaugh going back to the NFL or college football with Harbaugh leaving Michigan? I would say it has a bigger impact on college football, and we know who we expect to be the next Michigan head coach, but we'll, we'll get to that right now, actually. All right. Uh, let's get to it on the other side. The Harbaugh move is an exclamation point, in my opinion, for college football. We'll explain why next. You're on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 
46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Big news from last night. It'll still be probably the story of the day today. Jim Harbaugh has officially accepted a deal to become the next head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Five-year deal. Um, We'll get more about what it means for him and the Chargers coming up next hour, top of next hour. He has a challenge ahead of him in L.A. Uh, But first, let's talk about the impact on college football. So, one, we expect Sharon Moore, who's the offensive coordinator, to be the front-runner to take over at Michigan. Uh, He went 4-0 while Harbaugh dealt with various suspensions this past regular season. So he had a lot of success, and most notably, who could forget, calling 32 straight run plays in the win over Penn State. And it's just wild. I mean, that is confidence in your team. Nothing more demoralizing in the defense, for sure. Absolutely. So he's the front runner. I would be stunned if they go anywhere else. If they do, I mean, you mentioned it to me when we were texting last night, and, and I agree with you. Ryan Kelly would probably be one of the top names on the list. Yeah, if, if for, for some crazy reason, and, and per uh, Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, he's he's been reporting that Sharon Moore has been making calls in recent weeks to fill his staff in preparation for the departure of Jim Harbaugh. So that just seems like a mere formality that Moore gets promoted and d- did a, a, a really good job. I mean, the, really the architect behind that running game that was so good and obviously handled the issues, both positive and negative, when Jim Harbaugh was out this year uh, pretty, pretty well. He himself was suspended, remember, for a game um, regarding these, the, the alleged recruiting violations. But he had a, a great year off the field, on the field, in terms of proving that he can be the guy. Can he be the guy long-term? That's, that remains to be, quite, be seen. But similar to what we had in South Bend, when Brian Kelly left and he said, well, and that was a lot more sudden than the Jim Harbaugh thing. But in order to keep continuity, Notre Dame went and looked at Marcus Freeman and said, maybe he's not the most qualified right now, but we feel like he's the safest hire now and can develop into that elite coach. I think that's what Michigan is looking at with Sharon Moore. In with more, they have a lot more of a sample size as far as coaching. I mean, he coached in big games, right? Yeah. I mean, he was what? He coached Penn four State. games this year? Uh, yeah, including Penn State and Ohio State. So they were able to have success with him, and it didn't seem like they took a step back. Now, that helps when you have a lot of seniors and a lot of experience on your team, but he was not taking away from what they were doing on the field. He was adding to it. Um, so... That's the first thing. And as someone rightly points out on the text line, the Michigan transfer portal wide open. That is true. There's a 30-day window, right, when coaches leave, but because the semester's already started and the simple fact that if Moore is the next head coach, you would not expect many changes as far as, yes, guys will come and go. That's just how it works. But I I would not expect massive changes and huge losses in the portal if Moore is named the next head coach of Michigan. He's the safest pick. He's the pick that that the majority of players want, I'm sure. Uh, He's able to keep continuity via staff. And he has the confidence of the fan base based on what he was able to do with the Wolverines when Jim Harbaugh was out this past season. So 
to me, unless something completely unforeseen comes out of the blue. And even if Brian Kelly calls Michigan and be like, hey, I want this job, even if that happens, I don't know if Michigan would 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 uh, pass over more to pursue Kelly. I, yeah, I, I would be surprised. I think it's all but a done deal, which I think is good because if you're a Michigan fan, you you have some confidence about things moving forward. Yes, Moore is not uh, a dynamic personality like Jim Harbaugh, but who who can be compared to that? Right. And he's had success as a coach, so I think that's a, a pretty seamless fit for that program. And overall, th- this Harbaugh move is an exclamation point in college football. So you look at what we had in the college football playoff, Nick Saban at, uh, at Alabama, retired. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, obviously moved over to Alabama. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, he's off to the NFL. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, only returning head coach among college football playoff teams. Then you have the fact that Jim Harbaugh is the first title-winning coach not to return since Tom Osborne at Nebraska in 1997. Now, Osborne retired at that time, so Harbaugh going to the NFL. We've looked and looked for this stat, and we don't believe it exists. And that's a, a college coach winning a national championship and then going directly to the NFL. So either way, seasons, yep. this is Never a happened. massive shift. And you look at college football now, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, Kirby Smart at Georgia, and Mac Brown, who won a title at Texas but is now at North Carolina. The only championship-winning head coaches among active coaches in college football. Yeah, and a couple of texters pointing out that, you know, Sharon Moore did much less. I mean, behind the scenes, it was still Jim Harbaugh, but uh, he did an admiral job on, on game days, for sure. And I think even before this departure and even before this past season, I think Sharon Moore was being groomed as maybe the heir apparent of Jim Harbaugh anyway. And that's why he was given the opportunity to be that guy when Harbaugh was out and did nothing to really force people to lose faith in what he could do. And I think it's just a, a absolute no brainer in terms of to promote him. Does it work out for Michigan? Who knows? But it is the relatively safe pick. I mean, when, if you bring in an outsider, you risk players leaving and transferring and Coming off a national championship, you want to do as little as possible to rock the boat in Ann Arbor, and Sharon Moore would be that guy. And you never know, right? Lloyd Carr, who had a lot of success, granted the program was not national championship level, but they are still a top 10 program uh, when he retired. Rich Rod, yes, he improved in wins year after year, but it, it was bad. He got I noticed fired. you're not mentioning Brady Hoke. Oh, I was going to get to Brady oh, Hope. okay. Because <laughs> he was next, and it was limited. I mean, Harbaugh is, is... He changed the culture with Michigan football because there was a long time where, yeah, they had some exciting players, right? We all remember Denard Robinson, for example. But it was a lot of meh on the field. Right. Like, they weren't winning games, and they weren't contending. So he he brought them back. He started strong. There was a bit of a dip. He had the COVID season, which you look back and you kind of laugh at because teams had success then, um, unless they were already having success before. You know, it was, it was a blip for them as well. Like Indiana, for example, is the right. most obvious one. But it's a big change for Michigan, and now you have the portal open, and I think people are going to want to blame the portal for everything, like they do with college football. But coaches being on the move, like we mentioned again. 
Steve Sarkeesian, only returning head coach to his program. It was in the college football playoff. This is the new college football, and with a new 12-team playoff, uh, there are a lot of new names now, and perhaps Sharon Moore is the next new name you could add to the list of the elite coaches like Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, Ryan Kelly, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, and, and many others. Speaking of Ryan Day, text coming in, CK, all of Buckeye Nation probably celebrating today. Hopefully more makes Ryan Day cry even more. <laughs> there it is. You knew you'd have you'd have one <laughs> tying it to Ohio State and Michigan. But do, do you think Michigan, I, I mean, one, I don't expect him to sustain the level of success next year. They're losing way too many pieces. But this is, I don't want to say it's a rebuild, but it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get back to where they were the last three seasons. Well, I think it's a it's a double-edged sword for Michigan because they finally proved this past season that they can win a national championship in modern-day college football. And that's huge because now all of a sudden it can open doors to recruits that previously were closed because you just couldn't get over that hump. It's what's keeping certain doors closed from Notre Dame is, well, you haven't won a national championship since 1988. Now, Michigan can point to modern-day college football success at the apex of the sport to lure the top recruits, the top assists, all that stuff. But at the same time, you lose the architect of what got you there. And it's something that I've brought up several times about Ohio State and the impressiveness of what Ohio State has been able to do above the Alabama's and the Michigans of the world, not saying it's a better program, but it's been able to prove that can have sustained elite success over multiple head coaches. That's now the, 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 um, the question for Michigan. And someone texting in at 46862, Ryan Day is far from elite. Well, his record is 56 and eight. I, I've already said about, about Ryan Day and the, the vitriol that he gets even from Buckeye Nation. And I, I know, yes, losing three times in a row to Michigan is, is a t- tantamount to you know being condemned to hell, basically, by a fan base. But the fact that he's won sing, still lost only single-digit games, he's never lost more than two games in a season uh, his entire career at Ohio State, He's made the college football playoff or a New Year's Six bowl game every single season. It's just wild that he has to face as much discontent, I think, from Ohio State fans that he has to. But uh, maybe a, a, a examination for a different day. But I think it's a good conversation to have, too, about Brian Kelly. Because there's no doubt in my mind that Brian Kelly would at least have probably already sent out feelers to Michigan. People say, well, why would you leave the SEC? And I know it's only been two years at, at LSU. And but he had the rate he has he had the Heisman Trophy winner in Jaden Daniels and still lost what three games this past season? Mm-hmm. Seven games the last two years. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's only one less loss than uh Ryan Day has in six years, by the way. That doesn't cut it in Baton Rouge. And I think Brian Kelly, even through only two years, has seen just how how insanely high the expectations are at LSU and how insanely difficult it is to reach the top of the SEC when you're dealing with Alabama and Georgia in particular, let alone others. 
is he's looking as he seeks that national championship as Michigan as being the better opportunity than LSU right now. I don't think there's any doubt in his mind that, um, that that's the case. And that's why he would leave LSU to go to Michigan. Well, and I, I think he thought he'd go to LSU and recruiting would be so easy. He'd clean up and wouldn't have to work that hard. There was definitely an ego there that thought, well, I've done all this at previous stops. This is what I'm going to do at LSU. And maybe he eventually does, but I don't think so far we've seen evidence that he's taking LSU to our buddy Ed Orgeron levels or Nick Saban levels at this point. No, uh, let alone Kirby Smart levels, which I don't think he's even close to that level at the moment as we speak right now. Um, Someone else texting in. He's also not won a title and clearly couldn't beat Harbaugh and choked in bowl games. Can't deny that. Nope. That said, Michigan would hire him if Sharon Moore wasn't there. Yes. I mean, it's just, uh, it's fact the matter is, is, is Ryan Kelly still wins a, a lot of games, doesn't win the big games, but very few coaches do. I mean, we just have three active head coaches who won a national title. Yeah. Everybody else, you could say, hasn't been able to win the big games. So, um, I, I do think there's a bit of, bit of maybe piling on Brian Kelly, but I also understand that he hasn't been able to prove it in Baton Rouge. I think he proved it at Notre Dame, considering where that program was before he got there. They I were it, not. They were not a top program. Now no. they are again. And you openly questioned whether Notre Dame could ever reach, um, what ever reach consistent contention in college football again in terms of playoffs and all that stuff. It, but he was able to do that, and and maybe outside of Notre Dame circles, maybe inside of Notre Dame circles too. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. But I do think that the expectations he had for LSU and going there have yet to um, materialize. 46862, again, your text line number 46862. If you have thoughts, uh, let us know on the text line. Coming up on the other side, so how many subscriptions did that NFL wildcard game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins on Peacock actually drive? Well, we have some details for you next. You're on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. And you can join us on the text line. Be part of the conversation. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to it throughout the course of the show this morning. All right. I think everyone outside of their rage over a streaming NFL playoff game, which... I think is hilarious to be honest, because you've had, you know, Thursday night football on prime. I get that that's regular season, but you've had it for two seasons. Now you had a regular season game in December exclusively on Peacock. So for some reason, the playoff game was an end all be all because people have to capitalize or politicians yapping about this. It's like you watch the NFL, which clearly those people do not, if they're that outraged, um, how much of an impact would this have? Well, they got what? 23 million viewers is what NBC reported. That's pretty good. It was more than the, the number that they had for chargers and Jaguars the previous year on NBC in the same time slot. 
which is, again, yeah. wild to think about. Now, granted, it helps when it's Dolphins-Chiefs, but... Helps a little bit. That's still wild. But I think everyone's ultimate question on all of this is, okay, but how many subscribers did they get out of it? Uh-huh. And a research firm, Antenna, says that Chiefs-Dolphins led to 2.8 million subscribers to Peacock, which was the biggest subscriber acquisition event per the firm, as one would expect, right? Um, I don't think any other of it, it would top something like that. Uh, Peacock had 28 million subscribers in October. They actually have their fourth quarter earnings call today. They had a goal of 30 million subscribers at the end of the fourth quarter, which was the end of last year. Obviously, those numbers will be released today as far as where things are at on the subscriber front. And we'll get a clue as to as to far as far as if they viewed that a success. In driving subscribers, obviously they viewed it a success in terms of people watching, but in terms of the subscriber growth, well, we'll get the answer. And I guess to me, is that a success? Is it a disappointment? I think the number of people watching was clearly a success, but I guess I would have expected nearly double the subscribers added on. Yeah, I got I got to think that um, when you look at what... Peacock was able to accomplish with those numbers. You have to think 2.8 million times $5. Is it still $5 for Peacock? It's not that much. Six. Six. A month, yeah. I mean, you're looking at upwards of $14 plus million per month if all of those people keep it. Not all of them are going to keep it, but it's still a heck of a lot of money. And and I think the big thing is, is when you look at quarterly reports and quarterly um, uh, goals, that's everything in like corporate America. If you can make your 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 annual goals, your quarterly goals, right? So if that helped Peacock boost them in into a place where they feel more comfortable with what they set for the fourth quarter and where they're at, then that's a success in uh in NBC Universal's mind for sure. So I think it worked. Because I know I saw some people, well, twenty three million people watched on Peacock, how many people would have watched if it was on basic television? That's not the point. The point is they were able to get 23 million people onto Peacock and from this report, 2.8 million new accounts made for Peacock paid accounts. And that is what the goal was. If they, if they, and their, their thinking is, is we can get people in, we have enough in the library to retain them. And if they can do that, then it has been a sound business model and it's worked out. So some numbers actually are in Peacock added 3 million subscribers in the fourth quarter, which brings them above that 30 million target. In fact, to 31 million overall. So in that aspect, yes, it was a success. I mean, these streaming services are losing millions, if not billions of dollars, but these companies are investing in them because they believe it's the future and that's how they can drive revenue because they're losing even more money from cable and and satellite. Yeah, and a, a texter brings up something that I was kind of thinking about actually on the drive-in today. He says, CK, I wish someone would just have a streaming service where we could get all sports in one location. I was home last night, and uh, the wife was getting giving our baby a bath, and I was like, oh, you know, I, Miss Rachel's not on for one point in the house uh, at some point, so I'm going to see what's on TV. And I start st- scrolling through, and I'm just like, you know what? I, I don't know why I do this, because there's never anything on. Outside of sports... I wouldn't have what I have, which is Hulu TV. And and same. I have YouTube TV, and I'm only watching it for sports content. If I could buy a bundle that's 
20, 30, 40, probably even $50 a month that would include you know, all the streaming services I need, I'd do it. Yeah. You can't do that right now. No, unfortunately. Like if there was a sports bundle, like you said, where you get access to this, 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 and it's the majority of the stuff I watch in terms of live sports, absolutely. But unfortunately, that's, that's not a thing yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe one day, but I doubt it because there's too much money for these companies to be made uh, individually. And, and one other note on Peacock on, on numbers, um, revenue increased 51% to just over a billion dollars, which is the first time Peacock has topped a billion dollars or more in a quarter. So yet again, I would say they probably view this as a success. I would have expected more subscribers for this, but uh, as someone also rightfully points out, some of those, if not most, are one-month trials that don't renew. Yeah, you can cancel any time for all of these, though. It's not yeah. like you're locking in for a year. You get the best rate if you lock in for a year. Let's say that let's up let's round it up to say three million new subscribers, and let's say one million of those, or even less. Let's say seven hundred fifty thousand of those keep it for more than one month. You're still looking at seven hundred fifty thousand times six, which is north of or close to four point five million dollars a month that NBC is banking. And it's just like the gym memberships, okay? You get it, you use it for a couple months religiously, then it starts being sporadic, and then you stop using it, but you're still paying the the monthly fee for the gym membership because you're always telling yourself, well, I'm going to go back. Well, that's the same thing with people when they get, especially $6 a month. It's it's one trip to Starbucks, effectively. Yeah. And if people have it, they're like, well... I'll just keep it, and yeah, there's Law and Order on there, and you know the, the Office, and there'll be another, you know, football game on there at some point, and oh yeah, I can turn into occasional Big Ten basketball games. Like that's just how it works. And if they get enough people doing that, then it and it brings in an extra three, four million dollars a month, then it's worked. But you have to remember what NBC paid to get that game and put it on Peacock. It could be a long time. Till they make up that money, but they still feel that that's a better play than not having the NFL on Peacock. Well, and they paid $110 million for it. So yes. to so them, it's, it, did they get the money back? They clearly were happy a, with the number of people right. who watched. They're not immediate returns. The return on investment. Did they view that as worth it? Because they also had the regular season game, which was a, a way to do a trial run to test out what happened? And the other obvious note in all of this is, well, we're talking fourth quarter earnings and you know where things stand. I mean, this game did happen in early January, so I guess you weren't driving a ton of subscriber growth because of it. All the the actual subscriber growth we probably won't get until the next earnings call. Right. But this is the thing with. With how the like corporate America works and earnings and, and fourth quarters, and I'm not I'm no expert, but you're all about trying to appease your investors, right? And if you can point to certain metrics that this is up, this is up, this is up, then your investors are more inclined to say, yeah, okay, well, we're going to invest more, or here's money to do this, that, and the other, and then you can further grow grow your product. So it's all about meeting those metrics that are set, and if you can do that. And you can show growth, however you've achieved it. If you can show growth, growth, then it it further fuels your product and investment and all that stuff. And and all indications are NBC got what they wanted. It may be a slow burn. It may be long term to recoup all 111, 110 million dollars that they spent to put that game on Peacock. 
But at the same time, they feel like it was a worthy investment. And I think at least with those numbers that we've talked about, I feel that it has been. And as someone rightfully points out on the text line, Peacock will be useful for summer Olympic coverage. If you're into the summer Olympics, yes, definitely. Uh, we'll be able I, to I tell watch you, events that aren't on NBC in primetime or throughout I, the yeah, day. And I religiously, what, I mentioned this before about watching the Winter Olympics, is Peacock is crucial when I was watching the Winter Olympics a couple years ago because it was phenomenal because you could just go on there and one of the menus was medal events. And so I could just go on there and said, I, I don't care about prelims or trials or whatever. I just want to watch the 10K biathlon medal event and you can do it. So, and, and you know what? And, and I canceled Peacock and then have it back again because of, of certain things. So that's how they get you. That is how they get you. I went from being just having it March through September for IndyCar. And now it's year round. Once they got the, the big 10 rights, with Big Ten games in the fall for football and now basketball right now, I, I have it year-round. And they've put, um, has the, because we mentioned the Notre Dame spring game be April 20th. Yeah, that's on Peacock that's as Peacock well. That's Peacock exclusive, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's And, and Notre Dame having an exclusive Peacock yeah, game. Peacock game. Yep. Usually every year See? in September. See? And and that's that's the thing. That's what these, these streaming services have to do, added value. That's why we're seeing Netflix jump into the live sports even more now with getting raw for Monday nights for the next 10 years and spending $500 million a year for it is you have to continually add more and more uh, services on streaming. And I think for a long time, streaming was basically, okay, shows, but now they're seeing the benefit of live sports and it's going to continue to grow. It's not going to go away. 46862, again, the text line number 46862. I just put in CK first. Uh, someone else saying, did they sell advertising? Yes. Um, there were limited ads in the fourth quarter, just like they did for the regular season game. But yes, they had advertising, and it, I'm sure they can charge primo rates based on the number of people watching. At Corporate America, there's a text. Corporate America absolutely backloads Q4 earnings, always hurts Q1. Yes, Q4 is key, but, um, you know... Q1, that's nice. You have a whole entire year to try to, to make yeah, that you, you need to end the year on the high note, yeah, absolutely. and then you need to build momentum after yes. the first of the year. Because you can always <laughs> say, well, Q1's always kind of slow. You know, well, that's because you're trying to do everything in Q4, and then you know, use the rest of the year to, to build back up to Q4. So, um, yeah, it's all, it's all how corporate America works, for sure. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. From Peacock in the NFL to Jim Harbaugh in Los Angeles. Uh, in fact, the Chargers, one of the teams who played on that Peacock exclusive game in the regular season. But he has a lot of challenges ahead of him in L.A. despite having Justin Herbert. We'll detail some of those challenges and why this is the the big bet that really any team probably wanted to make, but only the Chargers could get. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Coming up this hour on the show, challenges abound for Jim Harbaugh in his new job. We'll talk about that here in just a bit. Plus, a stat so wild that it tops anything Purdue did against Michigan, including no turnovers in the first half. 14 of 21 from three. We'll get you that about 820 or so. Uh, but what Purdue's done this season, I think this stat is perhaps the most telling and how dominant they have been. And 
a, a prominent sports figure weighing in on the Chicago-style pizza debate. I think once and for all, this should shut up any debate over what pizza Chicagoans prefer, and it's not the deep dish variety. And before we leave you, an animal blame for a Texas roadway washing away in the rain. <laughs> we'll get that to you after 8.50. All right. Yeah, so that's that's hour number Let's two. Go. Also, uh, I want to bring up yes. at some point at late in the hour. Mm-hmm. You see this proposal for the uh, biggest tall or the tallest building in the United States no. to be built. Uh, the biggest skyscraper to this usurp. isn't the one in Chicago, right? No, this okay. is to usurp a uh, one world trade in New York City. You will never guess where they want to build this. But we'll talk about this oh, no. at some point in the hour. This sounds bad. No, it's just not a place where you would think uh, would would have a record uh, tall building. We'll get to it. Interesting. I'm yeah. intrigued. Yes. So that's that's to come later in the hour as well after 8.50. is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message, and you can join in on the conversation. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us at 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan mobile app. Also free, free download for you. And you can check out the uh, mic feature. There's like a chat button and you can record messages and we can access it via the app. So if you want to join in that way or you can stream us on your smart speaker as well for free. And I want to remind you, we also have the podcast you can listen to the show. If you can't catch hour number one or you catch bits and pieces, want to catch up on something you missed, podcast posted between 1030, 11 o'clock, basically every day after the show on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. And you, I looked it up. I looked it up uh, from our old podcast, but we're on the Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers train going all the way back to December 21st. Look at us. Occasionally, so, sometimes, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. We were, we were hyping this up for basically a month. Yeah, just over a month. And so you can uh, catch up and hear what we had to say even back then on December 21st, if you want to listen to that episode. We talk Harbaugh now he was a perfect fit for the Chargers, and now he is because he's their next head coach. But despite all that, despite the five-year deal, uh, having Justin Herbert as QB1, those are all positive signs. There are a lot of negatives for this team. Obviously, they were 5-12 and 12 last season, had a lot of injuries. They're projected to be $27.5 million over the salary cap. And that That's includes Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, who all have cap hits over $30 million. Now, uh, I think Allen said he wants to remain a charger. Otherwise, he's probably going to retire. They got to make some tough decisions with those guys. Either restructure some contracts, maybe even cut someone. And it's a franchise that not only are they second fiddle in the LA market, but they haven't really done anything in the AFC West in quite some time. They haven't won the division since 2009. Just three playoff appearances since 2010. Two wins during that stretch. So there's a lot they have to overcome, let alone the schedule, which we'll get to in a bit. The one thing that Jim Harbaugh has been able to do consistently in all of his stops is turn teams around really quickly. Yes. And you saw that with Michigan. You saw it with the 49ers, Stanford, and San even Diego. San Diego. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so... That that's something that Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh has been able to do is turn teams around relatively quickly. But what can he do? I think there's a lot of 
positives because anytime you have Cleo Mack and Joey Bosa as your outside linebackers, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Okay, you can build a defense around those guys, but you have some big uh, guys that are getting paid a lot, a lot of money. And remember, Justin Herbert, you're going to have to pay him at some point because he's still on his second contract, I think. And so he's only making $6 million next year. And so that's going to go up tremendously uh, if you're going to want to keep Justin Herbert long-term. Um, so that's a problem. And then you're trying to keep all that, um, all that um, defensive talent together. Yes. As Lil well. Mack, Joey Bosa. I, I mean, they have talented players on the roster. The issue was, was not necessarily the roster construction it's the fact they've had very bad luck with injuries to key pieces for the last couple of years, and the fact that they're paying some of these guys so much money, they got to make some tough decisions. Right. Uh, the coaching just simply was not there. Now, now you can't say the coaching isn't there. And you talk about Harbaugh improving at his stops. I mean, it wasn't just that; it's developing quarterbacks, right? Right. I mean, Andrew Luck at Stanford, um, Colin Kaepernick at, at San Francisco. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, and I get that it took him a bit to find his footing with quarterbacks at Michigan, but he was working with a lot of transfers quite often uh, in in previous years, like grad transfers, and they found a way to win games with less than quarterbacks, and now he finally has a a first-round elite talent quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, and you see what they've done the last three years. They had a lot of success. Obviously, three straight college football playoffs and a national championship. So uh, he develops quarterbacks everywhere he goes. Justin Herbert's already an elite guy. So he's got a chance to take him to the next level. Now, Herbert's already easily top 10. You could say he's borderline top five. He could probably put him in that top three conversation. Yeah, and with Justin Herbert looking a little bit deeper in his contract, he's still not making a lot of money, but it's starting. it will start to escalate considerably. Part of his five year deal that he signed is in 2024 his base salary is six million dollars okay his entire cap hit when you look at signing bonus and uh, potential options is 19 million dollars that goes up by 2027 to 58 million dollars so you're about to see a bigger impact for justin herbert in terms of his contract on the salary cap that is already out of hand for the chargers when you look at what they have spending so there's a lot that needs to happen, and I think, interestingly, something we didn't hear about yesterday with Jim Harbaugh is personnel control. Do we have any indication that he is going to have any type of personnel p- control with the Chargers? I haven't heard it. I haven't either. And so, for better or for worse, whoever is in charge of that is going to have a lot of big decisions to make. I don't think you can keep both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams around. You may not be able to keep both Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa around. And that doesn't get to address the defensive backfield of which you're paying Derwin James a lot of money and the offensive line that significantly needs upgraded. And that defense, even with Mack and Bosa, has not been very good. So we, we talk about Jim Harbaugh working his magic at every place in the short term. And in the NFL, when the quarterback is everything, is if you can keep Justin Herbert upright and give him weapons 
and not just wide receivers, but I think weapons out of the backfield, then that's going to help you tremendously. This team shouldn't be five and twelve. It has no. too much talent to be five and twelve. But is it twelve and five in a year? Ah, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, and, and the other aspect is you talk about their wide receivers. I mean, Quentin Johnston, the rookie out of TCU, kind of a disappointing season number one. But to, to make it work, you're going to need more from him in year two, and you're probably going to need to move on from Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, right? Yeah. You, you hope you, you guess which one correct because they seemingly both <laughs> battle injuries every year. But you need more from Quentin Johnston you need him to be a number two or even number one wide receiver because you spent a first-round pick on him last year. And that's one way you, you can help with the cap. I mean, the other aspect is, is pretty simple. I mean, it's the obvious one. It's the schedule. You're in the AFC West. You have to play the, the Chiefs twice a year. Uh, the Raiders aren't the laughing stock anymore that they've been last couple of years. The Broncos, they're a wild card. You don't know what you're going to get. And, and who knows if Russell Wilson is, is a factor in all of this with the Broncos next season and the fact that you have to play the AFC North next season. Ravens yeah, which is, is uh, going to be the highlight one because Ravens are going to SoFi, but then Cleveland, we still have Cincinnati, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh. I mean, all good teams, all teams you expect to contend for the playoffs once again. So that's the other aspect is they're going to have to get through a tough schedule. Now, what it comes down to for me Yes, he can develop quarterbacks. Obviously, health is is paramount for the Chargers, as it is for any NFL team to be su- successful. But if Justin Herbert is healthy, this is a team that should be able to win 10 games. Should. Should. I think a, a interesting process to follow is going to be the hunt for a general manager because this was done opposite of what you would traditionally look at usually you hire your general manager and then that person is heavily involved in hiring the next head coach instead what we've seen is the chargers hire their head coach in jim harbaugh and now are looking for a gm they've interviewed close to 10 candidates one of which is assistant gm ed dodds from the colts which again worked with harbaugh in oakland when harbaugh was a quarterbacks coach there about 20 years ago and they've remained close. That seems like the natural fit. Another name to keep in mind, the Giants' Brandon Brown has, has a second interview to be the Chargers' GM as well. But how much now will Harbaugh have to do with hiring the GM? Effectively his boss, but will he have a say? Or at least be in the room? Which I think is an interesting dynamic. So while Jim Harbaugh isn't going to have personnel control like we thought maybe he would when we looked at this job open with both GM and and head coaching jobs needing to be filled. At the same time, how involved is he going to be in that hire? And remember, the reason why he left San Francisco was effectively that him and the general manager and team manager, team management clashed repeatedly in San Francisco. Yeah, he, he he said he didn't leave the 49ers. They left him, basically. And basically, it was more of a he said, she said thing. So it's going to be very important with the Chargers on who they bring in for upper management, and it'll be a weird dynamic because Harbaugh's already in place and the GM and his staff are not. Expectations for Harbaugh in year one, let us know 
on the text line 46862. Again, 46862. If you had to pick, I think this is an easy pick, but I'll put it out there anyway. Which team wins more regular season games? Is it Michigan or the Chargers? Ooh, let's put that on the on the poll. All right. Uh, poll question of the day, Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. Uh, that will be up shortly. Who wins more games in 2024? Now we're talking 2024 regular season. <laughs> Mind you, just to <laughs> not going to account yes. Michigan winning the Rose Bowl and the college right. football playoff national championship game, but which team wins more? The Chargers or Michigan? That will be our poll question of the day. I'm going to go Michigan on that, but I do think that the Chargers win more than five. I, I Do they get to the playoffs? Could they just be a team that flirts with eight, nine wins maybe? Could it be a, a team in, in like Indianapolis that with the boost of a competent head coach really jump-started things in year one? I think that's the hope. That's the expectation in L.A., particularly because you have your quarterback in place. But there's a lot of personnel decisions needing to be made in L.A. before we pencil this team in as a playoff team in 2024. I mean, in theory, you would expect Michigan to to win a lot, but they have a tough schedule. I mean, remember, they have to play Texas, right? Uh, Let alone playing USC and Ohio State and, you know, the the Big Ten, the grind of the new Big Ten schedule. Uh, But the Chargers obviously have to play the Chiefs and everyone in the AFC West twice. They have to play the entire AFC North, so it's not easy either. But our poll question of the day, what team wins more regular season games in 2024, the Chargers or Michigan? Uh, that at Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. You can vote in the poll right there. Uh, already a text coming in. Michigan 11, Chargers 9. That's the prediction from the text line. He's from one person on who will win more games next season. The Wolverines So that the means they're saying Michigan's going 11 and 1. Yes. In the regular season. Because, again, we're not counting college football playoff games, which Correct. will happen in December, mind you. Uh-huh. And we're not counting yeah, games we're just already regular, won this Regular season games yes. this upcoming season. Yes. So let us know on the text line at 46862 or vote in the poll on Twitter slash X, Caleb Kinney 1380. What team wins more regular season games in 2024, the Chargers or Michigan? Coming up on the other side, The stat so wild, I couldn't believe it for Purdue this season. We'll get to it next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Poll question of the day is up on Twitter slash X. Caleb Kenny 1380 is the handle. The question is simple. What team wins more regular season games? Keywords regular season in 2024. The Chargers or the Michigan Wolverines? Now, again, we're talking football, not men's basketball. But then again, Men's basketball is so bad for Michigan that the <laughs> it would probably easily be the Chargers on that one. But we're talking Michigan football in 2024 in the regular season. Chargers 2024 in the regular season. Which team wins more games? Let us know. Caleb Kinney, 1380. Whole question of the day is up. So let us know your thoughts. Uh, also, someone else <laughs> on the text line. At four six eight six two, CK. Why does it feel like Harbaugh is running from Ohio State in the NCAA? Uh, it only feels that way probably because you're an Ohio State fan and you're <laughs> you were sick of all the losing. Yeah, so probably. That's how you're interpreting it. Uh, don't blame him. Yeah, go out, win a national championship, and go to the NFL, regardless of uh, 
what kind of issues are potentially looming over you or not. Also, I get that Ohio State fans feel that way, but like, what else was he supposed to do? Stay there and face the music, apparently. I I guess. But like, you won the title. He had been there nine years. That was his longest coaching stop by far. Yeah. He got Michigan back on top. Like, did you expect him to stay? Like, no. No. The NFL was always the elephant in the room. I mean, he interviewed with the Vikings a couple off seasons ago, Denver, right? So the interest was always there. It was just waiting for the right opportunity. The chargers absolutely are the right opportunity. And clearly Harbaugh is getting paid well enough to take that job because the Spanos family has long been accused of being cheap when it comes to paying coaches. And that was the, the reported industry problem. And of course they pushed back against that. And this is at least some shred of evidence that they might be right. Yeah, I just, um, I, I don't think a lot about it in terms of the accusations. I mean, I know they're violations. I just kind of look at them like, you know, is what it is. And we covered them ad nauseum and now kind of moving forward. But Jim Harbaugh landing on his feet, and people tend to do that when you win a lot of football games, which he's done. Yes. Uh, he's, he's, Very good at winning football games. Yes. Uh, A team that's very good at winning basketball games, the Purdue Boilermakers. What are they up to these days? Well, so we're kind of rehashing some stats. And look, the 14-21 from three against Michigan, uh, that was a a school record. Zero first-half turnovers, which you pointed out to me at halftime of that game the other night. And that was wild to me because you're certainly not getting that out of Indiana, that's for sure. But the stat that was so crazy that I read about yesterday from friend of the show, Sam King of the Lafayette Journal and Courier, Purdue has yet to be out-rebounded in a game this season. The entire season. Just phenomenal. And people will say, well, yeah, of course they have Zach Eady, but it's more <laughs> than just one person. Correct. And, and the other thing I think is almost, almost on that level, so Zach Eady obviously leads the team in rebounding. He's 7-4. That's not a surprise. It's what everyone expects. But I think the the real thing that's unexpected with that stat, Braden Smith, who is listed at six foot, but let's be honest, he's probably 5'10", uh, is second on the team in rebounding behind Zach Eady. He's been really good. That's the thing. You look at Braden Smith, and he has been huge getting around the bucket and getting rebounds and, and running the offense, obviously, at the clip that he is. But Trey Kaufman Ren has been acting. We've talked about Trey Kaufman Ren. Can he ever be that? that TKR type guy that that um, you thought maybe Purdue was getting, but he rebounds at a decent clip. Mason Gillis off the bench is always um, really, really impressive in terms of getting just scrappiness, and a lot of that is rebounding, and Caleb First does a good job off the bench. It's just, it's a team effort. You're led by a guy that's, of course, a double-double machine that averages over 11 per game, but really, really impressive the fact that that stat has not been rebounded out-rebounded in a single game this season. 20 games have yet to be out-rebounded. It's wild. I mean, that that is that is how you win beyond just winning the Big Ten, right? And the fact that your smallest guard is the guy who's second on the team. And there are other players you would expect to be better rebounders in, in terms of statistically Mason Gillis, Trey Kaufman-Wren, Caleb First. And yes, part of it is their limited minutes-wise compared to a Braden Smith. The fact that he's number two on rebounds says a lot about this team and how well that that Painter has done a good job of just coaching rebounding, not just for big men, but also guards as well. You know, I I think of Michigan State 
forever and ever as the gold standard in terms of teams that rebound really well. But maybe that's another hallmark of what Matt Painter has done over the years. That Purdue is is now could be known as that top rebounding team. Not just in the Big Ten, but one of the, the better rebounding programs in college basketball. It goes with the territory with Purdue in terms of how fundamentally sound they are and the importance of the quote-unquote little things and cleaning the glass is, is a big part of that on both ends of the floor. Earning extra opportunities to score the basketball offensively is huge, and then preventing your opponent from doing that on the other end is of paramount importance. Basketball comes down to basically taking more shots or better shots, and sometimes both, than your opponent. And the more shots aspect comes into if you can get rebounds, particularly on the offensive end, obviously, and preventing the other ones. And, and Purdue does a great job at both. And it's just another reason why you look at this Boilermakers team and it's difficult to find a true weakness. I think last year it was easy to find a true weakness. You look at that backcourt, particularly later in the season. But so far this year, and granted, we're not even into February yet, so it remains to be seen what could happen. But so far, we are even questioning the backcourt whatsoever. There just doesn't seem to be a looming weakness for the Boilermakers similar to what they had last year. Not saying that they're not going to lose early in the tournament or screw it up or whatever. You just have to look at it and say when you're trying to find a weakness for Purdue, occasionally they turn the ball over too much. That's kind of really what you can look at. It's really the only thing. And the the only negative, right, is it's just the narrative. Like that's the only thing they're battling against right now. And and the narrative last year was guard play and three point shooting. Well, in three point shooting, talk about that fourteen to twenty one performance, which was a school record from three and winning against Michigan. Purdue fifth nationally in three point percentage, uh, just 40%. shy of yeah, just shy of forty one percent as a team. Last year they were at thirty two percent and two hundred ninety first in the country. So you've seen a, a leap, <laughs> pun intended, a leap for Purdue in terms of what they've done from beyond the arc. And it's not just the fact that Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith haven't had a falling off, which I get for people who question, oh, it's late January, is it going to happen? No, it's not because they're used to the rigors of the Big Ten schedule. They played enough minutes. The The only weakness for this team is is really just a mental one and overcoming if something were to happen in terms of a challenge without Zach Eady in the lineup, if they could overcome it. And, and from what we've seen this season... They've been able to hold serve, and that's all you can ask for. And the Boilermakers back in action Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock tip, a nationally televised game on Fox at Rutgers. And, of course, you can listen right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM pregame at noon. Again, 1 o'clock tip, and then we'll get you out to the AFC Championship game, Chiefs at Ravens after Purdue coverage wraps up. Um, Kickoff for that at 3 Obviously, Purdue will probably be done 315, 330, so it will get you to the NFL game right after that. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. If you have thoughts on Purdue, let us know. Also, you can vote on our poll question of the day. What team wins more regular season games in 2024, the Chargers or the Michigan Wolverines? We're talking football, of course, not basketball. 
but let us know. Caleb Kinney, 1380 uh, on Twitter slash X. That is the handle on how you can reach us and vote in our poll question of the day. Coming up on the other side, a prominent sports media figure weighing in on the Chicago pizza debate. What he had to say and why he's right. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, 46862. The text line number again, 46862. Just put in CK first before your message. Someone texting, we talked about Purdue basketball. Uh, Zach Eady dominating every aspect of the game has really opened up the three-point shot for Purdue. Uh, yes, that is true, but he did the same last year and the three-point shot just wasn't there. I mean, they are 32% as a team last year, uh, just shy of 41% this year. I mean, this is an astronomical jump going from 291st in the country last season, now currently fifth in college basketball, shooting from beyond the arc. It's very, very impressive. It, it has a lot to do with Zach Eady, but not everything in terms of the success of the Purdue Boilermakers can you tie back to well, they have a 7-4 guy. It opens up a lot more opportunities, for sure. But you need other other dudes to step up, and so far this season, that's happened. And uh, one other story I want to get to real quick before we get to Michael Wilbon's comments on Chicago pizza, which I think is going to be an interesting uh, segment because I think it'll be eye-opening for a lot of people. But uh, no real surprise on this, but Wes Unsell Jr. has been fired as the Wizards head coach. Oh. He is moving to the front office. Uh, he'll transition to a role there. 77 and 130 since he was named the head coach on July 17, 2021. Uh, the, the Wizards, if you watch any highlights of this team, I've seen people point out the Wizards are the most unserious team you'll ever see. <laughs> and that yeah. is pretty accurate. I get that the Pistons are really bad, but the Wizards, I mean, it's like they're trying to be that bad. They are 7-36, and 36, last in their division in the NBA. They've lost, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 straight, and they've really struggled over the last little bit. I mean, this is a bad basketball team. Um, there's just not a lot going, going right for that franchise, and hey, very they're much, making a move. Very much circus music needs to be playing when you watch highlights. Yes. Of, of, of some Washington. of the some like, of the shots that uh, the, the shots the try the I don't know if they're passing like it's just like absurd like the the no defense like it's just seriously it's hilarious it's absolutely hilarious Jordan Poole is it's been comical watching some of his highlights this season for the Wizards and I use the term highlights loosely is there any player on that team that you would want on your team like would you would you take Kyle Kuzma you take Kyle Kuzma and that's it. Probably, yeah. That's probably about it. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I mean, Tyrus Jones. I don't, I don't think I want Tyrus Jones to be honest. They're just, it's a team of a bunch of guys. Jordan Poole uh, got that mega contract. He got traded because he was a mess for the Wizards. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> there's not, not a lot to... there on this roster. And those that are there just like to make a. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe you take Landry uh, Shamit, maybe. Yeah, just kind of like a shooter off the bench. Yeah, but nobody in that starting lineup other than Kuzma. That's no, for sure. No, absolutely not. All right, so 
We go from the Wizards in Washington, D.C., go figure. We're talking about Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, his D.C. counterpart, uh, to Chicago and Chicago pizza. And this was a clip on PTI the other day. I think it opens up a bigger debate because I think a lot of people view Chicago-style deep-dish pizza as the pizza of choice, like a New York slice, right? Or... St. Louis pizza, Detroit-style pizza. But that's not how Chicagoans feel, and Michael Wilbon pushing back on that on PTI the other day. Pizza pie, which is how it is referred to in some places. Pizza pie. Yeah, not where I grew but, up. Uh, not pizza no. pie. That's a New Pewdiepie. York thing. Is that a New York thing? Pizza the pie? Pizza where you grew up. The pizza where you grew up, that deep dish stuff. Get it out of here. We don't that's eat that. Pizza. You don't know Stop. anything Welcome. about the Midwest. Stop it. We don't eat that. I never eat Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Uh, Chicago-style deep-dish pizza is for tourists. Yes, you, you said it perfectly during the break. It, it's, it's the tourist pizza. It's, oh, when you go to Chicago, you got to eat the deep-dish pizza. That's what everybody eats in Chicago. No, it's what the tourists eat in Chicago. Residents but don't eat it. No, what they eat is either tavern-style pizza or thin crust. Now, New York has the New York slice. It's good. I mean, it's big. It's greasy, right? You fold it, you eat it. Um, Chicago has their tavern style. They have the the tourist deep dish pizza. Uh, Detroit, you know, has their deep dish pizza. It's a little different yeah. variation. St. Louis has pizza. I mean, there are so many different regional variations of pizza out there. Quad Cities. Um, Hartford. Or, or no, not Hartford. New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. Pizza. Uh, you go on and on and on down the list. Altoona, Pennsylvania even has really? pizza. I didn't know mm-hmm. that Altoona had its own pizza. People uh, like associate different things with cities in terms of food, like Cajun and stuff like that in New Orleans. That's like legit. Um, but like Chicago and deep dish, it just doesn't fit. There's not, uh, in terms of what the natives eat, what the residents eat, they don't eat that stuff. Now, if you were to ask Chicagoans kind of their signature food, would they say Italian beef? Would they say a Chicago dog? Would they say Chicago-style pizza? <sighs> I don't know. I don't think there's a consensus there. Like, I would say a Chicago dog would That's what probably I would say. Be, be the one. I mean, for New York, it's pizza, then followed by a hot dog. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you went to Philly, like Philly cheesesteak, like, yes. that's a thing. Yeah. For sure. Like Philly, legit, you go to Philly and, and cheesesteak all over the place, and that's what the, the the natives eat, the residents eat, and the tourists eat. It's not like that in Chicago. Like, oh, you got to go to Chicago, eat the deep dish. Like, it, it's not that big of a thing. It's touristy more than anything. Do you have a favorite style of, you know, city or region pizza? Um, no, nothing in particular. I think it's it's really difficult to beat a really good thin crust pizza, in my opinion. Um, I'm not a big fan of deep dish, um, just because it's so like heavy, like not yeah. just like literally heavy, but like eating it, like it's a lot. And yeah, having two slices is like, it's like eating your stuff, you know, I'm used a whole to pizza. Yeah. I'm used to grabbing three, four pizza pieces of pizza when you eat pizza. Um, and being able to pick it up and carry it not like deep dishes. It's, you need a fork and eat it. like it's, it's. That's not how I like my pizza. You know what I mean? So uh, for me, I would say any type of the, like clutch, 
thin crust is the way to go. Now, I know we both agree on this. Pineapple does not belong. Does not pizza. belong. Now, if I get my thing is, if you like pineapple, go ahead. But don't try to make me eat it. Correct. Uh, I don't care what you put on your pizza. Just don't be crazy when I'm around. I only need pepperoni. That That's all I it's need. Like that's all I want. Really? Yeah. That's like I my wife. Like You add more toppings to a pizza. Here's here's my thing with, when people are like, oh, we need to order a bunch of pizzas. What do people want? People put out super specific stuff. Oh, I want cheese. I want Hawaiian. I want Supreme. I want sausage and pepperoni. And you know what's always left over? The Supreme. The Hawaiian. All that stuff. You know what's never left over? Pepperoni. Pepperoni. Or the meat lovers or whatever. Yeah. Is that stuff. Like... People, oh, you know, you got to get the, um, you know, barbecue chicken pizza or whatever. It's like, okay, you're going to be the one person that eats two pieces and I'm stuck with eight pieces left over that I don't want. Yeah, but there's never, ever any pepperoni left or cheese ever. Keep it simple. We aim to inform and educate on this show. So if someone tries to tell you that Chicago style deep dish pizza is what they eat in Chicago... You would be wrong. That's what the tourists see. I mean, that's my thing when, if, if we're ordering a bunch of pizza for whatever reason and people are like, well, because I'm ordering and, and they're like, well, people don't like meat. And I'm like, well, then you can eat cheese. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm not getting a Supreme pizza because they're always like, and in fact, literally this morning in this radio station, there is a leftover pizza in the break room. Oh yeah. I, I saw that. I didn't open it. I, I, I opened it. I opened it. You know what it was? Supreme. Supreme. <laughs> I don't like mushrooms, so I don't prefer. But and mushroom, all this stuff, you know, it's always left over. Is that, is that stuff? I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for a good taco pizza, but I know I'm not getting that at home because it's always left over and it's sitting there for a couple of days, and the next thing you know, you're throwing away three four pieces of pizza. But yeah, there's never any cheese left. There's never any pepperoni left, and whether it's deep dish or not. Coming up on the other side, we'll go from Chicago back to New York and to animals causing problems, including washing out a roadway. And gigantic buildings. Yes. The newly proposed tallest building in the United States. It is not going to be in New York or Chicago. We'll tell you about it. Oh, it's not in New York. Nope. All right. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final reminder, you can vote in our poll question of the day, twitter.com slash CalebKinney1380. In the handle, CalebKinney1380. In today's question, which team wins more games during the 2024 regular season? The Chargers, the new head coach Jim Harbaugh, or the Michigan Wolverines football program with head coach to be determined at the moment? Uh, Again, you can vote. Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. That is uh, the handle Caleb Kinney 1380, our poll question of the day. All right. Not one, but two stories to get to as we wrap it up here on a Thursday. The first one, a beaver is being blamed for a Texas road washing away in the rain. This happened in Texas um, in the Crystal Lake subdivision in Livingston, Polk County Emergency Management, uh, a sizable area. Uh, of Crystal Lakes West, the main access road for that subdivision, washed away amid heavy rains. And officials believe a beaver dam blocked a pipe in a culvert as running underneath the roadway, causing a flood that loosened the dirt and washed the road away. Darn beavers. (laughs) Now, this is like an issue that um, 
is is pretty prevalent where where they build the dams and all that stuff, whether it's in bad spots for drainage or in, and all that. So, um, not surprising that this happened. Those beavers are always um, building those dams and screwing up things when it comes to drainage of water. Yeah. So this is a town northeast of Houston. They're repairing the road uh, with a dump truck filled with dirt, making sure they get that fixed have and they, squared away. Have they interviewed the beaver in question? I don't know if, if he has been taken or, or she has been taken into custody. I'm, I'm not, I'm not aware. sure if any charges are being filed, but um, at least it's not a, uh, a, a bigger, bigger, big thoroughfare, but uh, that's significant damage to that road. Absolutely. Sure. All right. You got a story on a skyscraper? So there is a new proposed skyscraper in the United States that will be, if built, the tallest building in America. And it's not in New York. It's not in Chicago. It's not in L.A. It's not in Seattle. It would be in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. It would stand at 1,907 feet tall in honor of the year that Oklahoma officially became a state. The skyscraper is part of a larger development called the Boardwalk at Bricktown, which will be spread out across three acres. There's multiple buildings, but the centerpiece would be the 1,907-foot-tall skyscraper that would surpass One World Trade in New York by over 100 feet. Uh, The company has revealed its plans to expand. It already had plans for this complex, apparently, and now it wants to build the main building taller, so it has to go back through variances and all this stuff within zoning restrictions, blah, blah, blah. But there is a good uh, chance that this um, Oklahoma City skyline, of which I don't think exists. I've never been to Oklahoma City, but I don't think there are a lot of tall buildings there. Uh, So I've been, uh, I think, a couple times, and it more than doubles the tallest building in the state of Oklahoma, which is in Oklahoma City, the Devon Tower, which I was there when they were building that at one point. That's 844 feet, so Mm. that would be more than double uh, what you have in in OKC. And the Devon Energy uh, Tower, which uh, has been the tallest building in Oklahoma since 2011, it is 50 floors and then two basement floors. Ah, well, this one would, would far surpass that. It would be called the Legends Tower and would have a, a vibrant retail and restaurant scene over 110,000 square feet of space at the ground levels. Uh, inside the big uh, skyscraper would be 1,776 residential units, luxury condos, um, it would be in close proximity to the Bricktown Canal and Oklahoma River, which bring people out in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is one of the top 20 fastest growing cities in America. I believe that. Why? Um, also, dumb question. Dumb answer. Oklahoma's in Tornado Alley. Um, is this a, a, a good idea? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. I don't think they're worried too much about those in Chicago or New York or, you know, Dubai, for that matter, where the current biggest building in the world, tallest building in the world is, the Burj Khalifa, which is 2,716 and a half feet tall. Oh, that half foot is key. Uh, and, uh, yes, for sure. So, now, c- construction, this says... They, if demand is not there, uh-huh. um, they can change plans. Tower can be shortened. Expected construction wouldn't begin for another year or two. 
kind of interested to see if they get this thing off the ground because who I, I mean I think it would bring people into Oklahoma City to see the tallest yeah. building in the United States. That's a that's a reason for tourists, you know, to go check it out. I mean, I've seen One World Trade Center. It is very tall. It is very tall. There's other really tall skyscrapers yeah. and buildings that they've built in the last four or five years in New York that are like those. They're like super thin. Yes. That are really tall. That are really funky looking around Central Park. I think there's at least two of them around Central Park. But um, yeah, you wouldn't have to go to New York to see some of the tallest buildings in the United States. All you'd have to do is shoot down to Oklahoma City, the epicenter of skyscrapers, apparently. (laughs) To be determined. We shall see. Well, that wraps it up for us today. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Meet with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush from 4 to 6 with Shannon Griffith filling in for Brett Rump today. All here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.